Welcome to the Grow Fast Podcast, where we talk to leading sales, marketing, and biz dev professionals about how to accelerate sales, optimize marketing, and grow your business fast. Let's go. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Awesome. I am. Um, first off, thank you so much for being a guest on the Grow Fast Podcast. Um, I'm a big fan of your RFP success podcast um, and end of your site. Um, but and, and we're going to talk a lot about RFP best practices and all that. But before that, let me just ask you a couple questions. Where about whereabouts are you located? I'm located in Tempe, Arizona, suburb of Phoenix. Awesome. And then this time of the year must be beautiful and probably like sunny and 75 or something like that every single day. <laughs> Mostly, except the last couple of days has been a little chilly for us, which is hilarious because people are like, uh, what, yeah. what are you like low 60s, which is about what we are. <laughs> yeah, that's not chilly, man. I'm from I'm from Washington State, um, and that's a nice oh, yeah. that's a nice summer day for us. Um, and 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 but I'm I'm calling in today from Zagreb, Croatia, and it's been in the 20s Fahrenheit uh, for the last few days. And it's you know it, if you want to wake up really quick in the morning, just just go outside when it's 20 degrees, and it's like. Whew. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm a wimp, which is why I live in Arizona. <laughs> what do you do in the summer times, though? You know what? I go up north. I have a cabin about two hours north of here, and it's about 30 to 35 degrees cooler. And so I escape for two months. Are you up near Prescott? No, a little bit further east, okay. an area called Forest Lakes. It's right on the Mogollon Rim. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I, uh, my mom lives in Prescott, and I'm down there two or three times a year to visit her, do mountain oh. biking, and then I'm nice sons have soccer tournaments in phoenix and in tucson so i'm just down there and unfortunately uh, that most of that's um in the in, in the winter but even in the summer prescott is because of the altitude it's five thousand feet it's pretty nice yeah yep. i gotta exactly. ask you um you know when i when we started the grow fast podcast um we deliberately made it cover kind of a wide variety of sales and marketing related topics, how to grow your company quickly. And a couple of people asked me, well, why don't you just do a podcast based on RFPs? And I was like, I, I think we'd run out of topics real soon. And, um, and then I came across your site and your podcast. And I think, how many episodes have you recorded? It's about 140 something, I think. <laughs> At Which is amazing point. yeah. because I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, there are, and I, I've, I've listened to so many of them and there are so many different areas of specialization and different rabbit holes that you can go down in, term, in, in terms of how to respond to RFPs effectively. And I've learned so much. And so I was like, wow, I was so wrong. There is enough content there and you, you, you are the, uh, the proof of case in point. Let me ask you, you know, you, you started the RFP success company, I think about 13 years ago. What was the, um, you know, the impetus for you to do that? You know, I actually started another business initially, which was the 13, it's been 14 years, 13, 14 years now, um, as just a general business coach slash consultant, uh, which is like, uh, you know, the kiss of death, right? Like <laughs> I can do anything for anybody. <laughs> that was me in my solopreneur days. And then about six years in, I started getting people coming to me for RFP help because that's, a lot of what I did back in my corporate life. And so I always like to tell people the niche kind of kind of found me. I wasn't really looking for it. And I mean, I was looking for a niche, but I wasn't even anywhere in the realm of RFPs. And I remember a friend of mine saying, I think your niche might have just found you. And I was like, well, there can't possibly be enough work to your point with the <laughs> topics, right? 
there can't possibly be enough work. But, you know, if you think about it, state government, federal government, corporations, I mean, the government uses RFPs to, to purchase almost everything, and they are the biggest buyer of goods and services. So why would we not think that there's plenty of business there? So we started testing, I started testing it. Um, and then in 28, officially rebranded to the RFP Success Company. And then in 2019, hired my first my first uh, employee. And that's, it's all history from there. That's, that's awesome. And it, it's so interesting too, because it doesn't matter the size of the company. Uh, from my yeah. experience, it could be small, medium size, up to enterprise level companies. They do have to respond to, or they have the option to, they have the opportunity to respond to RFPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were doing market research before we launched MemoQ RFP, um, you know, we did, we went through uh, the private sector and public sector. And I, and I remember being on the California government website uh, procurement portal, and there were RFPs for rat mitigation. <laughs> like, you yes. know, so imagine you're a company that does pest control and you're like, we don't need to do RFPs. We just do If you want the government contract, you guess what? You're going to have to do an RFP. You're going to do an RFP. Yeah. I mean, we get some random ones. Like we had a mortuary transportation, you know, these things that you don't think about, but if you have a mortuary, like how great to get a, maybe one, two, three year contract with the government to give you more consistency in your business. For, I mean, the government's got to transfer dead bodies, right, to the mortuary. So it's crazy what you don't really think about government's okay. buying, but it, yeah. yeah. And, and then I just give you one more example. I, um, I have a, a, a relative who works for a playground equipment menu, uh, reseller. Oh. And, um, you know, they're probably, my guess is probably about 10 million a year in revenue. Um, they, so a pretty small company, but a big part of their business comes from responding to RFPs. Um, and yeah. you know, and it's just like, do you think, but because it's school districts and in city governments and so on and so forth. But, um, so, so, so let's, let's, let's jump into like, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned and, and, and the lessons that you pass on now to your, to your customers. Um, first off, should you, should a company have a process to respond to RFPs? Cause a lot of companies will just, it'll come in and they, they, you know, the business development manager or the sales manager is like, Hey, we got this RFP. And, and then they'll kind of just shoot from the hip and probably respond to it. And it gives, it puts a lot of stress on a lot of people. Should people have a process and why, and then what, the, what should that process look like? If so? Yes, of course, people should have a process. Um, I was and here's why <laughs> I know. And, but here's why is because, every of your competitors are going to go in and answer the question, um, meet the requirements, be compliant, have the qualifications and answer the questions as they think they should based on how they're asked. That's what everybody does. Like, let's just get an answer in there. Let's get this thing out. And the industry wide, um, average win rate is like 20, somewhere around 20%. And what's like, are you, would you be satisfied with that? win percentage in regular business development? I don't think so. And I don't know why people settle for it, but without a process, that's all you're going to be able to pull off without a process, without the right team of experts. You can't just pull a salesperson off the street and say, here, bid on this RFP just because they're a salesperson. Because if they don't know how to, first of all, salespeople are not attention to detail, right? So the process helps you ensure that 
you you don't miss anything. And one of the things that we do on the front end is something called shredding the RFP. And that's basically one of the first parts of the process where we go through and we make a list of all the requirements, including like multiple question questions. So a lot of times they'll ask a question, but they'll sneak in like three questions and it's really easy to miss those. So we shred the RFP. That's the first part of the process. Um, another key component of the process is the calendar. So mapping all the key dates of when things need to be due in people's heads, especially like a sales guy, he's like, oh, this is due on the 28th. I can have this done on the 27th or maybe the morning of the 28th, right? But there's so much that has to take place between the writing being done and the proposal being done. So you've got to map all of that out for reviews and you should have a process for how all of that works in order to submit the RFP that's going to get you the win or the proposal that's going to get you the win. You're just not going to get that many wins if all you're doing is hobbling along. Right. And, and you know, I think a lot of times RFPs put can put stress on an organization because it comes in and says, well, who's responsible for this? And you, and well, the sales manager or the sales person, and, but they don't have the, because RFPs, they're going to ask for, you know, financial information, HR information, uh, security information, probably, um, you know, include that diversity, equity, inclusion information these days, more and more common and et cetera, et cetera. Also, of course, product and service related information. The salesperson doesn't have access to all that information. So what do they got to do is they got to go knock on people's doors and say, and then people are like, hey, man, I'm busy with my day job. Leave me alone. You're the sales guy. And so maybe you can yeah. talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you've seen in terms of like just the internal, um, I, I guess, friction in terms of getting something uh, out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, again, salespeople are not wired to be that attention to detail or mm -hmm. the hurting and you know making sure all of the pieces of the puzzle are put together so they're like we we want the win you know we want the end result but they're gonna it's gonna be the ugly stepchild for them and it is in so <laughs> many organizations where it's just a slog because a you don't have a process that helps walk you through it you don't have the expertise you don't have the pieces of the puzzle ready to go like library content all of that that you talked about should be stored somewhere in a repository for library content and companies that don't pay attention don't have that library content so now they're thrown into this rfp they've got two and a half weeks to respond to it and it is hard to just start from scratch it is yep. so much harder to start from scratch than it is to edit something else so there are so many pieces of the puzzle to the process but internally i mean we see if at, at the very front end, should we even be bidding on this? And one of the things that is so heartbreaking is somebody will hire us and we'll be like, have you looked at the RFP? You you know that you could respond to this. There's no deal breakers. And then, you know, halfway through working with us, they finally look at the terms and conditions and are like, oh, we can't meet these insurance requirements or we don't have this particular expertise and we don't have time to go out and find a sub for that. So you know, there's so much on the front end that you need to do well, including vetting that RFP. Is it really something you should be doing? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. You should be going after opportunities that align with your high value client and what you want for your business. And I think people just get excited and go for it and don't pay attention to any of that. 
I've seen both where they get excited, go for it, and then all of a sudden they become disillusioned and say, because they see some of those requirements and they're like, oh my gosh, forget about it. Um, yeah. And which for me is disappointing because I'm, I'm a true salesperson, business development person at heart, and I don't want to leave any business on the table. I want to take it all whenever right. possible. Of course, if, 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 if they're asking for something that we can't deliver on, okay, let it go. I mean, that's, you got to cut your, you know, you got to be very efficient in your time, um, use of time. But when you, when you, when it comes down to that go, no go decision, what are some like best practices that you advise companies to follow? Yeah. I mean, one of the big ones, what I said was like, is this, does this kind of fit with your high value target? Um, and here's the reason why with government contracts, you're going to get a one, two, three year contract and you're stuck with them. You're stuck with that business. So as much as we go in with like, oh my gosh, we want more business. We want more business. Cause we all do. At the same time, do you want the kind of business that's really going to hurt your team, that's going to be a big slog, that's going to be hard on your team members? No, you should be looking for the kind of business that fits, that is a mutually a mutual fit, right? Because otherwise you're going to be stuck with them for maybe up to three years. So that's a big piece. Um, you know, and, and then some other deal breakers. Sometimes they'll find something like you've got to have staff on site in in a particular state when they're in a completely other state. Are you willing to do that? No, we didn't really notice that. So looking for some of those small requirements that you could easily skim over until you're in the depths, in, in the throes of the RFP response. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely matching up with, can we do the work and not the stretch? Sometimes there can be a stretch in there, but you gotta be careful with, we can do 60% of it but this other 40%, we'll figure it out. You know, That's again, a probably stretch. not. That's a bit of a stretch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the first three or four letters of stretch are equal stress. So, are, you know, yeah. so it's, uh, um, you got to be careful with there. What, um, how, how important is it or how do you do, how would you advise? Like, let's, let's say I'm a sales manager and I'm like, oh, we're, I'm, you know, I'm having trouble managing these RFPs. Lisa, come and help me out. Um, cause like I need to involve other people in the organization and, and, and they're always busy. So what can I do to make them more, you know, um, uh, open to helping me respond to these documents, whether it's the HR team, the finance team, so on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's such a loaded question cause it really depends on the internal culture, right? What is the, what are the goals and objectives of the leadership team in overall business development goals, right? And what percentage of that do they anticipate coming from RFPs? And one of the things that we find is most people just don't understand the culture you need to have to be a winning RFP entity. And by culture, I mean like the commitment of everybody on board with that kind of work just as much as anything else. And if they're just saying salesperson, I don't care, you just go make it happen. I mean, the salesperson, honestly, we've seen sometimes where they're like, we've helped them put together a business case. We've helped them put together talking points. Uh, maybe they've brought us in to have that conversation with leadership to say, look, if you want to go after this kind of business, everybody's got to be on the same page or you're going to keep, you're going to keep losing. And here's what that's costing you. It costs a lot of money in time and expenses to bid on an RFP. So why would you settle for like a 20% win rate? You should be up in the 70 to 80% win rates. And if the whole company isn't on board with that, 
you got to have a game plan to get them on board. Okay. Um, can you just drill down on that a little bit? Like, you know, I'm sure you've yeah. been involved as a change agent in some of these organizations and, you know, and how do you facilitate that? Um, you know, it, it, we meet them where they are um, and get a sense for, um, for the team. A lot of times we like to send out a survey to ask them some questions ahead of time. We get on the phone and we just drill down into, again, kind of what are your goals and objectives for the, for the company from a business development perspective? What percentage of that is coming from entities that will require RFPs? And really the big piece of it is doing the numbers. Like, what is it costing you right now? How many times do you bid? How many times do you lose? Um, and looking at those numbers, most of the time, the, the C-suite is going to pay attention when you start talking revenue numbers and expense numbers and what they're mm -hmm. losing. Um, we have an ROI calculator. And so we go through and we walk them kind of through, here's the return on investment when you're winning versus losing. And that gap is usually very eye-opening. So the data is really important to be able to track and to be able to take back to your leadership. Um, that's first and foremost, and really just asking the question. And sometimes it's, it's as simple as educating them. Like this is what a process looks like. This is why it's important. And everybody thinks it's just about the writing, but when you get to the writing and you, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is distinction. Distinction is so important because everybody else is going to have requirements, qualifications, all of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. How are you going to stand out? Mm -hmm. um, but you can't stand out if you, all you know is the RFP. If all, the only information you have is in that RFP, it's going to fall flat. You've got to have different information. You've got to have some inside information. And then that's when you can start writing at a different level. So we kind of educate them on some of that. And it's really education and data. Yeah, I, th I think um, that data thing is a, something that most companies, when they're when they don't have a process, they don't have the data because and it's like, so yeah. what's what's our win rate? We don't know. What was the, how much did we win? We don't know. And if you start to look at it, sometimes you can be like, wow, you know, we've actually won a significant amount of money, but maybe our win rate's kind of lower. Imagine, imagine if we could increase our win rate uh, from 20% to say 35%, what would that mean to the bottom line? And by the way, if we become more efficient in, in terms of how we respond, we could do, do more RFPs too, because we'd have greater bandwidth, yes. right? And then, yeah, so you get that, 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 that momentum, that snowball really starts to grow. Um, I do want to go back to the go, no go question for a second <clears throat> and then get into yep. content. But sometimes you get an RFP and they'll be like, as you mentioned, there's this insurance requirement or we need SOC 2 or we have, and you're, and you're like, God, we hit 99% of what they want, but they just, this one thing we don't hit. And what do you advise your customers in situations like that? Um, the first thing is, you know, ask the question in, you know, however you can. So there's generally in government RFPs, there's generally an open Q&A period. So the, this is why it's really important. Another reason why it's really important to really review the RFP up front. Ask the question, like, are you open to negotiating terms and conditions? Um, especially that. if you're a small business. We just had one, actually, that... Um, that was she's a small business and she's like we can't meet these insurance requirements but you know it's just boilerplate that they throw in there and so she called the company it was a corporate uh rfp and she called them and they 
she said, look, I'm a small business. We can't meet these requirements. And they're like, oh yeah, we didn't really adjust for small businesses. We'll adjust that for that. And, and that, it was as easy as that. It was as easy as just asking the question. So first and foremost, ask the question. Um, and then secondly, again, if you need a, a subcontractor, you've got to know that pretty early on. So review that dang RFP. I know I'm going to say this a million times, but review <laughs> it early for all of those things that are not sexy and they're not fun and they're it's boring bedtime reading, but you've got to have somebody on your team that can pick all of that apart and say, okay, here, here are some of the things that we need to consider. One of the things that we also always recommend is we have, a, we have an RFP go, no go scorecard. And it basically has all of the companies, like we, we customize this for each client, right? But here's all of the, all of your criteria. And then there's a score based on the priority of that criteria. And over time that gets really robust because you start seeing some of the same requirements and it just reminds you then to go look for it. Um, instead of just reading it, not knowing what you're looking for. Now you've got a guide to say, okay, I need to check out insurance requirements. We need to make sure we look at all the qualifications and that we can meet them all. And that's something that goes on at the front end before you even make a decision. And the one that we use is really fancy because you go through and you just answer yes or no, it scores it. And then it pops up. It actually pops up a little note that says, no, you should not be bidding on this or <laughs> yes, go for it. Or this, this deserves some more discussion internally. So that is awesome. Is, is that a, um, a customer only tool or is that a, something that's uh, public facing? It's only at this point, a customer only tool. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I, I think a lot future. of, a lot of customers could benefit from that. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a follow-up conversation with you after, after the podcast about that because that's something I think that we could um, we, we, we would have opportunities to introduce to our customers because everybody, they, they, they get stuck oftentimes on that go-no uh, kind of question and, and they, they yeah. want to bring some kind of structure uh, to it, uh, but it's challenging. I'm just curious, in terms of your consultancy, do you ever get asked, hey, here's an RF, can you just tell us, should we do this or not? We do, um, particularly with the clients that we've been working with long term, right? Because we get to know them. So we have a uh, we have a retainer that uh, companies that want that kind of private partnership. Um, we have uh, we have that offering, and so those companies that work with us longer term, we get to know them really well, and so they'll bring RFPs to us and say, you know, can you take a look at this? What do you think? Um, we'll sometimes go through the go no for them. And then go back to them and make a recommendation, have a discussion with them. So, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, let's get into content for 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 yeah. now. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. because you know, at a, at certain levels, some companies uh, they'll actually have an RFP writer or they'll outsource to an RFP mm -hmm. um, organization. And and yeah. uh, most companies, in, in terms of what I see, they try to kind of cobble stuff together on their own. And, uh, you know, and, and they'll, 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 they'll answer the questions. What is your advice in terms of, do you just answer the question, you know, deadpan or is it, does it make sense to kind of gussy things up and kind of put a little bit of a marketing things on things or, or, or are there some other things that you'd like to kind of advise us on in terms of putting together the appropriate content? Absolutely. So content's one of my favorite things because there's so many great things that companies can do to to fix it. So here's what happens is we look at this RFP, there's a question asking about us and naturally we respond back answering their question. 
but they don't really care about you until they care about you. And what they want to know is how what you offer is going to solve their want or need. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very subtle shift, but it's an important shift to say, instead of saying we help you or we provide, or we do blah, blah, blah. You got to flip that around to make it what's in it for them. Right. That uh, the uh, Ted on my team always says, my favorite radio station is W I I F M. What's in it for me, right? right. What's <laughs> in it for me? Everybody cares about that. And that's when they're going to lean in and pay attention. Here's something you have to keep in mind. These evaluators are reviewing at minimum, maybe two, three RFPs, RFP responses, or up, we just had one, there was 30 bidders, 30 bidders. Wow. So wow. there's this human who's having to read these 30 responses and they're going to maybe score you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just, is that part of the go, no, go, no decision as well as like how many other companies are in this? Because if you told me that there are 30 other companies, I might say, you know what? They're not really that interested in us. They're just, they've got a ticket box and say, let's go for it and just throw it out there. And then, and they, they might even have somebody already in mind. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it, it all depends on the relationship you have. I mean, if it's just an RFP that came across your desk, you have no relationship, they don't know about you, you're probably not going to know how many bidders there are, but, you know, maybe there's a Q&A or a bidders conference and you can see that there's a lot of bidders. Um, if you don't have an in there, yeah, I, I personally wouldn't bid, and that would definitely be part of the go-no-go. The go no go. Um, but it just depends. That client that just bid with 30 other bidders won and she was shocked. I mean, she was so excited. Not only did they win against 29 other bidders, but they actually beat out. So she's a small company. They actually beat out several really big competitors that at the time she was like, I don't know if we can beat these guys, but I really want to go for this because I want to get my name. It was a little more of a strategic decision mm -hmm. and they won. So you can position your content. If, if you have the right information, you can position that content. It's going to be better than probably anybody else's if you really pay attention to the right things. So that content is important, but you've got to have a whole bunch of knowledge um, in order to make it the best that it can be. Okay. Can you give me an example of something that, um, or a situation where you helped a customer optimize a specific uh, piece of content? Yeah. So. Uh, one of the things that we like to do is integrate some what we call credibility statements. So you can say, we help companies, you know, we help companies win up to 60% more of their RFPs. All right. And it went right, right. But, but then if we reposition that statement to say, you know, we've been in the 30 years that we've been working in the RFP space, one of the things that we see as a distinguisher is XYZ. Um, that that we have, I, I'm just spitballing here, right? Yeah. That we have seen makes your win rate increase exponentially. And it's it's as simple as doing, you know, one, two, and three. And so get kind of that trusted advisor uh, role and also showing versus telling. And what I mean by that is like, we can stand on the mountaintop all day long and talk about, well, we've had a lot of success with this, with other companies. Well, what does that statement even mean, right? Like, right. let's talk about those successes and prove to them through testimonials or case studies or anything else, statistics, that we can say, hey, this isn't us telling you, this is the market telling you. And here's our credibility in the industry marketplace to show you 
that we are the premier company here or that we do things different than other companies or whatever that looks like. It just positions it differently and builds trust. And that's what you want. You want those evaluators to lean in and pay attention to what you're writing. Otherwise, it's just going to blend in with everybody else and you're going to lose, likely. It's funny you you mentioned that because um, I actually wrote a book on sales and um, and one of the chapters nice. is all about trust because if, if people love your product but they don't trust you, they're not going to buy from you. And simultaneously, <laughs> I'm listening to The Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort's, uh, his book, and he talks about, you know, there's like three different things that um, the customers need before they buy. And one of them is trust in you, but also trust in your organization. And there are ways to, problem is trust takes time, okay? And especially if you're an RFP process, you don't have these face-to-face -face meetings. And so, you know, yeah. you, you have to find ways to accelerate that or demonstrate it to, to make it easier for that trust to grow and develop. And, um, and you know, what you're talking about with these, the way you phrase things to kind of, you state something, but you support it with something. For example, we, we take security incredibly important. Uh, uh, we think it's very, very important. In fact, we have ISO 27001, we have SOC 2. So you've, you, you know, you've, you've backed it up with yeah. something, right? And your examples of specific customer wins or test testimonials are huge. Um, introductions. Huge personal introductions. I mean, I, it can't get any better than when a business owner says, you know what? I worked with Lisa. She just, she re revolutionized our business. Um, you need to work with her. Then there's no selling involved. Then you just go in and start, you know, uh, problem solving. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Can I say something? I have a couple things please. to say to that real quick. Is One is, you know, a friend of mine just got invited to be on the advisory board of hr.com. Mm -hmm. And she's a, she does some stuff in the, her work is around the HR realm. That is a beautiful credibility thing. Like I was asked, you know, I sit on the, on the advisory board of hr.com. It's immediate credibility. So if you have anything like that, those are some great credibility boosters as well. So that was the first thing that I wanted to say. And I love that you mentioned the whole, you need three things to make a sale. Cause this is just going to be a little pitch for why you should be going after RFPs because RFPs kind of hand you some of that on a silver platter. And I've seen a million different versions of that, but a lot of it is they've got to have a need. Well, if they, if they release an RFP, they've got a need. Uh, they've got to have the money. Well, they've got the money. It might not be the budget you want them to have, but it's there. So your sole job in that RFP is to build trust. Mm -hmm. Not your sole job, but like 90% of it is to build the trust and connect the solution to what they need. That's, that's what it's all about. Totally agree. So let's, let's imagine that, um, you know, a, a company has done an amazing job doing this RFP um, and they've created all this wonderful content. You've advised them. And then they're like, thanks, Lisa, we're, we're, we're done. Um, and then next month, another RFP comes in and here's what happens in a lot of companies. They're like, Hey, we got another RFP. We got to run around and like start putting together all this content. Um, or they can try to find the old last RFP and copy and paste stuff. But a lot of times the questions aren't the same. So um, I know that there are tools out there. Um, there even even without the tools, because I'm not here to pitch MemoQ RFP at this point. Um, I, even without tools, there are best practices in terms of reusing content. Can you talk a little bit about that? How can you do it? Yeah, I mean, we recommend, you know, you finishing your RFP um, and then just waiting a beat, maybe a month, and then going back and reviewing it because in the throes of a timeline, things can get messy. 
right? Mm -hmm. So give, give it a beat, give it some time, go back and look at it again, and then pull out the things that are relatively standard, meaning they're questions that are asked in some way, shape or form over and over and over and build your repository. To your point, there's great softwares out there that'll help you do that. Um, and But you gotta have a process to that. And I cannot stress this enough, you can't just copy and paste it into the new proposal. You've gotta then take it and customize it. There's so much better to edit it than to start from scratch. But mm -hmm. we've heard horror stories, in fact, here in Arizona, here in the Phoenix area, we have two utility companies. And one of that those utility companies tell me, they get it all the time where they get an RFP response that has the other company's name in it. So somebody's oh just gosh. kind of taken, <laughs> and pasted and dropped. And guess what? That just goes in the trash. They're not going to yeah. review that because they're like looking for any reason to disqualify you because they've got a stack of 20 RFPs they're reviewing, uh, proposals they're reviewing. So, you know, be very careful when you're using that. But when you take it from the RFP and put it into a library, you should be uh, taking out mention of companies. You should be taking out, you should make it, should be making it a little more what we call evergreen, where mm -hmm. you can kind of use it anywhere and customize it for, for anything. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one of the challenges that I have uh, with, with RFPs is I'm, I'm a, as I said, at my heart, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a salesperson and, and yeah. I'm a sales leader. And I always, my, my mantra and, and what I tell the team is always get the meeting, get the meeting, which especially before COVID, pre-COVID and this virtual kind of world that we sort of live in a hybrid sense right now, um, <laughs> it kind of changed a bit. But for me, it's always about get the meeting because until you get the meeting, you're just, you're just a piece of a name on a piece of paper or on an email or something yeah. like that. Um, but with RFPs, you're dealing with procurement departments and, and they don't, they're not going to meet you. And besides, they might be the other side of the country. And if you, even if you fly out, they're like, we're not allowed to meet and all that. Kind of, how can you, how can you kind of de develop a relationship with the prospective customer in this R the context of an RFP, given all the, you know, the, the, the barriers? Yeah, it, it is definitely a little difficult and more difficult now post COVID because you can't just, uh, you don't know where they are. You can't just pick up the phone and call them. It's everybody's personal phones now, right. uh, but, but it is really important. And we preach this all the time to build relationships before that RFP hits the streets. Cause once the RFP is out, you can't talk to anybody other than their, especially in the government space, other than their prescribed Q and a bidders conference, um, space so on the front end you know there's a few things there's events that states have that you should show up to if you're targeting a corporation sometimes they have events look out for those events that you can go to to show your face always 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 show up to the bidders conference i don't care if you don't have any questions um you know back in the day when they were live which most of them are not now you know, we told people the very simple thing, which sounds ridiculous, but walk in, shake their hand, make eye contact, tell them, you know, what you do, but again, kind of flip it around and make it about them. And they'll remember you because most people sneak in, they kind of go sit in the back. So anything you can do on Zoom to, uh, I mean, I'd show up a minute early if you could, um, even if they don't let you in, they see your name first and foremost, all these little subtle things to start building the relationship. Um, you can you can send them 
information. Don't send them pitches about like, here's what we do and here's how great we are. But maybe if you see a, a white paper or an article that you're like, oh, I know these guys, this state is struggling with this. Let me send them this and just start to build up a little bit of goodwill. I would always recommend in the state space, actually in corporate too, start build, work on building a relationship with the agency people or the department people less than procurement. But I would do both. I would do procurement as well. And if you happen to be a woman, a minority, any of that, and you get certified, the beautiful thing is, is that states and corporations all have supplier diversity departments. Mm -hmm. Not all of them do, oh. but a lot of them do. So and reach out to that, them. Their, <laughs> yeah, their whole job is to be the liaison between you and their internal people. And so they're there to help you pick up the phone, call them and say, here's what we do. Who do I need to know in your organization or in your agency? So there's a lot of different kind of moving pieces there. You got to get a little creative with it. I'm not going to lie, but it's like any sale. You got to work it ahead of time. You can't just respond to the RFP and expect to win. I think this last three minutes there is um, worth the price of admission for this whole podcast because there's so much valuable advice there. In fact, I'm telling everybody we're going to create a short of that right there and put that on the <laughs> on YouTube because nice. seriously, there's some amazing advice there. Um, I especially like you know using these other these agencies to lobby on your behalf if you qualify for their their programs. Um, going to the events, shaking hands, showing up early. It, it, that's all super solid advice. Um, you know, you mentioned government. I'm curious, what are the major differences be in terms of how you respond to a government RFP versus something from the private sector? So I'm going to speak state government because that's our sweet spot. Federal is a whole different beast. So I'm just going to tell you that right now. There's a lot okay. more uh, kind of certifications you have to get, and it's a little bit more red tape-ish. Mm -hmm. But state government, local, what we call SLED, which is state, local, and education, and corporate, there's not a ton of differences. The big differences are that um, sometimes you can still have conversations in corporate, even after the RFP is out. If they don't state that in the RFP, then you can still be having conversations with them. Whereas in the, in the state space and the SLED space, once that RFP hits, no more conversations. You can't be hmm. going around, you know, circumventing. Um, you know, there's some stuff on the back end on the state side is that, you know, there's the whole FOIA request. FOIA stands for Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and you can do a lot of research because you can get copies of past proposals and you can, they generally will give you scoring sheets because they're afraid of protests. On the private side, it's a little bit harder sometimes to get scoring sheets, but they're more likely to have a conversation with you to debrief about why you maybe didn't win. So, there's so, a, so let me just a, stop you on that. Absolutely. This is fascinating to me. Yeah. So like I can use the Freedom of Information Act to go in and request the score sheet of how, the, why they decided on the last RFP. So, cause you know, these RFPs, as you said, in the government sector, it might be a two or three year contract. I can go back two years and go back another two years and see, you, you can just get that information. So yes and no. If you've bid, yes, absolutely. Sometimes wow. they require that you were one of the bidders. Um, and so like, I can't just walk, not all states, it just depends on the state. They all have different rules. So some of them are like, yeah, you can have whatever you want. Just you have to submit the request. Um, some states are like, only if you bid on this, will we give you the info. But those scoring sheets are gold. If you bid on anything and you lose or win, 
frankly, you should do it even if you win. You get that scoring sheet because guess what? You might have won because you were the best of the worst, right? Like you might have won for reasons that you don't think. And then you take that RFP response and you put it into your library because you're like, we won off of this content. This is great. But it really wasn't that great. It was just better than everybody else. So those scoring sheets are gold, 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 gold. That's another uh, price worth the price of admission right there piece of advice that's awesome I've never even heard of that I, 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 I mean of course I know what a freedom of information act is and in, in, in that but in terms of using that to to understand what's happened in the past what were the decision criteria or even on the one that I just participated in even if I want it because are there areas for improvement you know or or what are my strengths that I need to bring out more strongly and I maybe maybe I don't even know what our strengths are they're they're looking at something else so that's that's some amazing advice um, the other piece of that puzzle is that you can also get copies of your competitors' proposals. And that is all, like sometimes, oh sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they let you redact them. And so there's a lot of redacted info, but just getting that gives you like, again, there's so much beauty in, in my opinion, state government, because that's what we focus on mostly. Um, that's our, this is like a salesperson's dream, right? To have right? some of this information <laughs> when you're trying to get competitor intelligence if you get these rfps especially over you know a year or two years three years like the bank of knowledge you'll have about your competitors is huge but you got to have resources for it and you've got to actually do it but it's it's beautiful that's awesome is that something that that you help your customers with yes yes that yeah this is like um if i if i was running a sales organization which i am but um if I was, you know, focused on RFPs, for example, uh, even if I wasn't focused on RFPs and I just wanted to get more information about my competitors, this is an amazing opportunity to do that because everybody's yeah. like trying to figure out what's their pricing, what how, how, what were the revenues last year, and uh, you know, because a lot of these companies are yeah. you know under the radar, you know, small, medium sized, especially you know up until about you know thirty, forty million dollars a year in revenue, it's hard to kind of kind of get get a sense of where they're at. So that's some amazing it advice. Let me ask you, do you help at all with your customers to help them search for new RFP opportunities? We do. Um, we have a sourcing option. There's a lot of different ways that you can source, but we do have a sourcing option where we go and very targeted help them find based. And this is generally our longer term retainer clients, you know, help them really understand what that go, no go is, and then what their high value client is. And then we know what kind of opportunities we're looking for, for them. There's also aggregators out there that you can use. There's, um, they're not the best, but they're, they're a good option. They're not the best option. And, you know, you sign up, you put keywords in, and then you get notifications of bids that fit that. The, the biggest challenge with those aggregators is that, you know, you get it maybe seven to 10 days after they're released. And that time is golden, right? Uh -huh. That is precious, precious time that you've lost. Um, our, re our recommendation is always to get registered in whatever state or whatever corporation, making sure that you're on the list to get bids um, direct to you. And does that work better than anything? But it's also sometimes a slog as well, depending on how many, how, how long your list of companies or states is. Sure. No, good advice. Um, when it comes to tracking, what are some of the key criteria that you tell your customers you got to capture and kind of reflect upon? 
win, wins and losses, obvious, the obvious one, right? Um, if you can, time to respond, like how many hours you're putting into a response, uh, who your competitors are, who you lose to, who you win against, because you'll start to see some trends there, right? Over time, you can start to see like, ooh, we really lose to this company a lot. So let's dig in and find out what makes us better than them so we can better write to that going forward. Um, so that's really important. Um, hmm. I think those are probably the biggest keys. Time to respond because then you can start looking at how much it costs you to respond. Sure. The, oh, here's the other one. The other big one is your go, no go. Mm -hmm. um, was, and again, for us, because we've got the scoring tool, so was it recommended to go for it, yes or no? And you bid on it anyway. And then also you can look at that data over time to say, okay, well, we went against our no go, go, no go criteria, and we've lost 70% of the time when we go against it, and we've won 70% of the time when we, go, when we follow that that cadence. So just tells you a whole lot and can help you tighten things up and just, again, not spend as much money on going after opportunities that you really don't have a chance to win. Excellent. No, I think that's some, 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 some again, great advice. Um, let's kind of turn the table here a bit and imagine that I'm a potential customer and you know, you want to figure out whether or not you can bring some value to my organization what are some of the key questions or the first questions you're going to ask me? Um, we're going to ask you a lot about your goals and objectives with any particular RFP or uh, RFP environment. Like sometimes people come to us just for a single RFP versus, you know, a longer term strategy around RFP. So what are the goals and objectives here? We're going to ask um, how well you know the buyer. Um, and if you have, if you're bidding, what we want to know is, are you bidding cold or, or do you have some good information there that we can use to help write and distinguish you? Um, we're going to ask, you know, what kind of content you already have? Um, those are probably some of the key questions, but from those, a whole lot of other questions stem, right? So that conversation about your goals and objectives, that strategy is very important for us to know, um, you know, are you just trying to offload to somebody else? It has to be a partnership to work with us. We can't just, especially in the beginning, we can't just do this without you. And so we want to know for us too, are you a high value client? Are you going to value our expertise? Is the leadership committed to doing this? Are the writers going to be committed and they're going to hit their timelines? That's all really important to us because we don't want to work with people that are just kind of, eh, let's just hire somebody to help us get this done and be done. It's funny because I was going to ask you, what's your go, no go uh, criteria? And you kind of just laid it out right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, um, Lisa, really enjoyed this conversation. And I, I have a sense that um, we could probably pick any one of these uh, subtopics, you know, whether it's go, no go, process, uh, content, key stakeholders, uh, tracking, so on and so forth. And we could probably do a whole dedicated episode or if not one, but several to, um, for, for each of those, yeah. because I mean, you've got such deep subject matter expertise. Um, I, thank you so much for being on the grow fast podcast. And, uh, if, if our readers, excuse me, listeners or viewers want to get more information from you, what's the best way to do that? Probably going through LinkedIn. I'm Lisa Rehurik. I'm super easy to find. Um, so hit me up there if you have a direct question. Or as always, you can go to our website, which is therfpsuccesscompany.com. 
and you'll find all sorts of information there. And, and I think that's an understatement. I mean, <laughs> literally, you've got a magazine, a podcast, a vlog, um, so many articles, and it was Books. just like, I had no idea. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. Well, hey, Lisa, thank you so much and wish you a great 2024. Yeah, this has been so great. Thank you so much for having me, and I wish you the same. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers.